confident when I say what day it is as I do when I say hello. So it's like, hello, it's Thursday, like I think. <laughs> it's a big drop off. But no, happy Thursday. We're so excited to have you on today's broadcast. It is going to be a great one. We're excited to have you. Pastor Brian is going to be doing some teaching on 1 Samuel 24 on part 25 of our The Man Who Would Be King series. Buddy suggested that we take a poll to find out how long you think the series is going to go. Um, we're going to go all the way until David is like king. So we'll see. Uh, make sure that as you are hopping on today that you comment, tell us who you are, where you're watching from, so that way we can say hello to you. And make sure that you share today's broadcast because somebody that you know needs to see what's about to be shared, including you. So stay with us a while. We'd love to have you on, and we're just so excited about this day. And I'm going to say hi to some people. If you said hi before Lisa Lamb, I can't see it at this exact second. But Lisa, hello, and hello, Humphreys. You're watching from Kenya. That's so awesome. And then Lisa says, hey, Miss Randy, good afternoon. How is New York? Are you enjoying New York? Is it, is it raining in New York? Y'all, it's been like crazy weather here. Buddy, Serena, George, and I were at prayer this morning, and we had to, like, detour to even get in the building. It was blocked off on both sides, but our friendly Stanley County Police Department allowed us to get to the church so we could pray. So it was a pretty great morning. Um, yeah, we're just super excited to have you. Tomorrow, make sure that you hop on tomorrow, same time, same place at noon, because I have it on good authority. We're going to have a couple special guests. You're not going to want a minute, minute? You're not going to want a minute? Good, Barrett. You're not going to want to miss it. <laughs> it's going to be a fantastic broadcast. So if you're able, plan to be here tomorrow. It's going to be great. New York is sunny and warm. I don't, I don't know what to think about that. It's sunny and warm. What is warm? Like, is like relatively warm, like low 50s, high 50s? 
My dad tells me that it's warm in Maine, and then I compare the temperatures, and it's like 55. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Chris, hi Chris, watching from Indian Trail, North Carolina. Okay, as you guys are hopping on, I have some new questions that I want to chit-chat with you guys about. Because 72? I just got real distracted. It's 72 in New York right now? Good gravy. You know, every so often, it's like an anomaly where it's warmer up north than it is down here in the south, and it's, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's probably just because I really like wearing sweatshirts, and the Lord is allowing me to do it a little bit more. <laughs> Miss Randy says it means come up here. <laughs> or it means that you bring warmth with you wherever you go. But um bunch. Okay, so we do have a couple questions. I know y'all have opinions. I want to chit-chat with you guys about your opinions. So, first question of the day. Bum ba da dum. Okay. What food is delicious but a pain to eat? Like what food do you love eating? but you've got to put some effort into it. So I have, I have some options. That's a good one, buddy, crab legs. That, that's valid. Marky says sunflower seeds. Okay, so Marky, when you eat sunflower seeds with a shell, I know people that just nom on the shell and eat it all together. Are you a cracker? Buddy does that. Are, do you crack them open and just eat the seed on the inside? She's not saying anything. <laughs> it depends if she's feeling savage. Pastor Nicole or Pastor Brian, I don't know. There's no heart. It could be either. One of them says crab legs or lobster. Uh, Miss Randy says raw clams. Serena says ribs. Truth. And hard shell tacos. Also truth. I understand that. So I, my immediate thought, I had two immediate thoughts come up. And I'll come back to mine. Johnny says wings. So I, oh no, it was Pastor Nicole. <laughs> There's five purple hearts. <laughs> Abby says, anything that takes longer than 30 seconds to cook. I get that too. Prill says, fried chicken. I hate to have any part of it to touch my face, so I have to strategically take a bite. Um, so, okay, George says, lobster and crab legs. George, but you're so cute when you eat lobster. I love watching you eat lobster. It's one of my favorite things. Okay, so for me, the ones that immediately popped up in my head were mangoes, no, yeah, no, mangoes and avocados, because to me they are both very similar. You can't super tell if they're going to be good, and they have like a life expectancy of like two days. And you buy them, you think you're about to eat either one of them, you open them up or you peel them, you're about to enjoy it and it tastes like grass or disgustingness. So both of those things for me. Also ginger, like peeling ginger is one of my least favorite things to do. So truth time, if I see it in a recipe, I'm just gonna skip it. Like we're going to another recipe because it's not worth it. Abby says pomegranate. I don't know as though I've ever eaten fresh pomegranate, ever. That's, that's interesting. Okay, question number two. Do, 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 do. The worst thing you could hear while being put under anesthesia. So you are about to undergo a medical procedure, you're being put under anesthesia, and the worst last thing you could hear before you go under. Go. <laughs> Pastor Brian says, uh-oh. <laughs> Immediately what popped up, Buddy says, Oops. 
Okay, was cannolis your answer for complicated food to eat? I think so. George says, no, wait! <laughs> Pastor Nicole says, I hope this works. <laughs> I immediately thought of, man, it's been a while since I've done this. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't enjoy that. Johnny, was that the right gas? <laughs> Chris, which leg was it? <laughs> I'm so happy that this question is on here today. Y'all are funny. <laughs> Natalie, did we give them enough? <laughs> I guess you'll find out in a little bit if you wake up. <laughs> is this the right patient? <laughs> or, you know, what about, I forgot my glasses at home. It'll probably be fine. Like, all of these are not fun to imagine. I, I've only been put under anesthesia that I can remember twice, both like for dental stuff. And I remember distinctly the last time it happened, fighting it for as long as possible. Because I'm like, I want to be conscious of what's happening. I, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> well, actually, guys, it's a 50-50 chance of survival. That's a good one, Rachel Ann. <laughs> Rachel has such great humor. Marky says, when I went under, the doctors turned into clouds. I would really enjoy watching Marky on anesthesia or something. I, like, I would like to somehow figure out a way to do that and videotape it for y'all. I, I think that would be great. George is confirming that I fought the anesthesia as long as possible. Okay, last question of the day. Weird food combinations you enjoy. So two foods that were star-crossed lovers for each other. Like they weren't supposed to be in a relationship, but they ended up in a relationship. Thank you. I had to debate if I could say, if I could say lovers on this, and I, I went for it. So foods that never meant, were never meant to be together, but work very well together. Miriam Abigail. Serena, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> Serena says ketchup with eggs, absolutely. Serena is my girl. Uh, Abby, bananas and mayonnaise. Um, Pastor Nicole says nothing, all my combos are great. <laughs> Buddy says peanut butter and jelly on a burger. I really want to try that now. Rachel says pretzels and mayo. Ugh. Marky, I feel like yours were always intended to find each other. It just took a while for them to get there. She says popcorn with marshmallows and candy bars. I feel like that absolutely works, 100%. Um, Miss Randy says eggs and ketchup, my answer too. <laughs> Kevin says good afternoon, what's right family? And George says french fries and honey. I bet that's good. I bet that's a good one. French fries and honey? I can see that. It's kind of like the same concept of dipping french fries into a Frosty. What was the uh, sandwich that we had, the peanut butter and pickles? Yeah, that was a good one. I, so this is a recent weird one that I, sometimes at home when I'm in a hurry, I just put all my food together. Um, so recently, as recently as Monday, I discovered that Bread, peanut butter, and bacon is a really good thing to eat together. It tastes very good. Salty, it was pretty, it was pretty good. Um, French fries and milkshakes, they were definitely meant to find each other. French fries and ice cream, French fries and vanilla ice cream. Okay, did we ask, did, did I, I don't remember if I asked you guys, remind me if I did. Abby and I have a working theory that 
queso and chicken wings are meant to find each other. Like we, we have a theory that it will taste great whenever it happens. So that's one that we're working to implement. Joe Sonora, good to see you. Mr. Curtis, Serena's dad, says beans on toast. Interesting. Dwayne Light, Pastor Dwayne, good to see you as well. We were in Israel together. Love you. That's a weird one, Kevin. That is a weird one. I'm kosher dill pickles and glazed donuts. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> that's, that's a weird, weird one. How did Paul you discover this? Stalins. Good to see you, bro. I want to know how some of these got discovered, like that one. Kevin, how did you put those two things together? Because I know, I know you're not like a lady, but in my head, I, that goes to like a weird pregnancy craving that like you find out of, I really want donuts and I really want pickles and I'm just eating them at the same time. I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> What's yours? Oh, was yours the pickles and peanut butter sandwich? That was actually pretty good. The mm -hmm. pickles and peanut butter sandwich. I was impressed with that. Oh, look, we got bigger text on our we Weestween chat. Thank you, bud. And uh, most people don't know that we almost didn't have a live broadcast today because Accurate. all this rain turned the power off and the power hit the internet switch somewhere down the road. And we were like, what, 20 minutes before? And uh, about 20 minutes before the internet came back on, we're like, oh, good, we can have a broadcast. <laughs> about an about hour and a half before. <laughs> 25 minutes before, I, the Lord and I were having a conversation about the internet. And uh, he is good. Amen. Yep. Different, it was, it's not just, and I haven't told you, but like different pieces were trying to not work today. I've told pastor I don't doubt it. that I've, I've started to exercise the command prayer when it comes to technology things, because I really need it. <laughs> so I've, I've told the Lord that I will have Pastor Brian's ability <laughs> to work technology things, and it's, it's happening. God's really nice. That's funny. Okay, so... What was the first one for Pastor Brian? I don't remember. Oh, food that's difficult, delicious food that's difficult to eat. Um, it used to be chicken for me growing up, but now I just dig in. Um, like fried chicken on the bone? Yeah. It, yeah. And uh, then definitely crab legs, but I've figured out how I'm pretty good at those now. So practice. I need to practice more. I need to practice more. <laughs> I need to practice on crab legs more. It's true. That seems like a word, like the Lord speaking through I, you right there. I feel it. A directive. I feel it, yeah. And um, <laughs> I like crab legs. That's probably one of my favorites. And so then <laughs> she said, are you pregnant? My wife said, are you pregnant? I'm not sure who that was directed <laughs> that to. That was to Kevin. Okay. And then um, that would probably be it. That's what comes to mind. Uh, you know, yesterday we were talking about the weird clothing. You know, mm -hmm. I said the fanny pack and the mom jeans. That's probably not all of it. It's just what came to my mind at that moment. But, and that's probably because we were, Nicole and I were having that conversation with Marky like the night before. <laughs> so, anyway, um, what was the second question? Uh, you answered it. Well, you gave an answer, but what's the worst thing you could hear before going under anesthesia? Uh oh. <laughs> See, Priscilla, you never had crab legs. I am so sorry. See, I crab legs, while difficult, I also feel as I'm working to open them that I'm earning my supper. It's it's like a weird hunter gatherer thing of I'm earning this, like I'm I'm doing this. But 
avocados and mangoes when they just go bad for no reason after a day. It just, that one makes me angry. Mm. Makes you angry. It would try to make my flesh angry. It would try. <laughs> I just have stopped buying them and, that, and all of a sudden that frustration's gone away. <laughs> I'm really surprised you never had crab legs. So have y'all noticed a difference in the, have you noticed a difference in our sound yesterday and today besides the fact that Barrett lost her mic? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That was a user error. Like that was user. <laughs> Nicole was calling it the whole time. Nobody else was calling it. So she, she was on it. She was. Man, hey, my text is bigger on my screen here too, buddy. That's interesting. So, Whoa. Wow. Yeah. So have y'all noticed a difference in the sound? Buddy makes good crab legs? Remember, that's what Miss Randy said. Really? <laughs> He's huh? a crab tree. You're a crab tree, that's true. I remember the conversation now. You know what, buddy? God's not a respecter of persons, and <laughs> neither should you be. So if you're going to make Priscilla crab legs, I will happily receive some as well. So I'll sew into that. Yeah, we um, made some changes to our soundboard and to our mics, how we're using them, and it, we should have a lot more uh, cleaner sound, and it should be uh, a little bit more vibrant as well. So, hallelujah, God is good. That was a good word, vibrant. You like that? Vibrant. <laughs> I liked your reference to um, Shakespeare a while ago about the star-crossed lovers of Thanks. Romeo and Juliet. That was nice. Thanks. Well played. There are okay. certain words that I'm not sure if like they're okay to say because they mm -hmm. make me feel weird, and that was one of them. So as I was in the yeah. middle of saying it, I'm like, I don't know if this is okay, <laughs> but well, we're just going with it. <laughs> I can't, you know, I never was an English major, so I can't quote a lot of English literature stuff, but I was made to read Romeo and Juliet in school, so <laughs> that's one I can quote from. So when I get the, op the opportunity to step in and say, oh yeah, I know where that comes from. Yeah. What light through yonder window breaks. It is the east and Juliet is the sun. See there, well played. It's one of the only ones I know. <laughs> a rose by any other name I'm would so smell mean. as sweet. You this like that? So you like that? You didn't know I had that in. You've never seen that, have you? Yep. I I was an English major in college and pastor, again, it's the whole science techie mindset that pastor has. And, hey, Heather Barbie. And an English that I have had. So when I moved here, there were some things that I needed to do <laughs> in order to thrive in Boomerang. <laughs> and one of them was changing how I talked. <laughs> Like, I had a syllable count put upon me by pastors, and they're like, you can't go over three. You only get yeah. three-syllable words. Well, at that point, I mean, you were, a, you were a young adult, and you had fallen into the trap that yes. thinking that over three-syllable words made you smart. That's not what made you smart. What makes you smart is being able to communicate with everyone, mm -hmm. uh, not, not your words that leave people in the dust. And so... It's anyway, true. we had uh, we talked about that, and she was like, like, uh, kind of deflated. <laughs> it's like I've been working on this for years, and now I find out it's not the case. Well, and the people that I was around—that's how everybody I was around would talk. So it's, um, 
Okay, I will learn a new way. <laughs> but now it's to the point seven years later where when I hear people talking like that, I notice it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I sounded dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I was, well, and if I had never changed it, I would never be able to minister to people because I'd only be using highfalutin words. Highfalutin. High cotton words. <laughs> Look at Kevin's comment. Hearing that? me quote uh, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I feel like I just gave up a pound of my flesh listening to that. <laughs> it's true. That's it's excellent. True. That's a great comment. <laughs> well, let's jump right in. Uh, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're talking about the man who would be king, uh, the people who would be leaders, presidents, CEOs of companies, supervisors, servant leaders, just somebody in the body of Christ who's called to make disciples. We're talking about the people that are uh, called to be ministers, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or teachers, or a Sunday school teacher. Everybody in the body of Christ is called to be a leader. And we're talking about that many people are gifted and many people are called into leadership positions, but very few actually have the character to stay there. And I'm talking to people today that are going to be the leaders in Jesus' name that they are called to be. If that's you, put your hands up in the comments. You are going to be what God called you to be, and you are going to fulfill God's destiny in your life. If, if that's you, put in the comments, amen, amen. So I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, happen in your life, and that's why we're going through this. Here's the thing, though. I was really thought about it quite a bit this week is many people want the microwave stuff, but they don't want to commit to the work that it takes to go forward. They just want it to be magic. They want, they want to come up to the altar many times and be magic. But the Lord says, study to show yourself approved. Don't get weary in well-doing. Do the work of ministry. This is all the time. We must be the kind of people that are disciplined and given ourselves to God all the time so that we can become who God wants us to be. Now, what most people do is they focus on the work instead of focusing on the one that will empower their work. So this is a big key. Hear that. I, we must not focus on the work, but focus on the one who empowers us to work. When we decide, Lord, I will sow my work into this earth and into you and into your kingdom, focus on the kingdom and his righteousness first, he says, when you become a sower, God will give seed to the sower. So if I determine in my heart, I'm going to do the work of the Lord, then God is going to give me the grace, the seed of grace to empower me to get that work done. So most people are, are operating in the negative that I don't want to do the work or this work's going to stink or I don't like this portion of it. Instead, so they're focusing on what's right in front of their face instead of focusing on him, keeping their eyes on things above, keeping their eyes on things that are not seen. They're not living by faith, they're living by sight. And that's what holds many people back from their destiny, but it won't be you. We must focus not on the work but focus on God who empowers us to do the work. 
And if we'll focus on him and purpose in our heart to do that, we'll find that the work gets easier and easier and you can do greater and greater things because you learn. It's kind of like when you first learn how to give and you may start off giving $2 or $5. You know, all of a sudden it changes. It goes up to 20 and then 25 and then 30 and then 50 and then 100 and then 1,000, then 10,000, then 25,000, then 100,000 and a million. It grows because you learn how to draw by faith on the one who gives us seed. Well, the same thing can happen in our day-to-day -day work. But in order to grow in that area, we must give ourselves and study to show ourselves approved. So I'm not talking to the people. I'm not talking to the people that are going to look at a message like this and say, golly, it's so tedious. I'm looking at the people who says, Lord, let me study. Let me get better. Let me not stay at average. Let me not stay at mediocre. Because you've called me to great and mighty things, and I'm going to achieve it through Christ, to whom much is given, much is required, and I'm going to go after you, Father. That's the people I'm talking to. If that's you, shout amen in the comments. All caps, amen, exclamation point. All right, if you're doing text-to-talk, that's how you do it. All right, so now, one of the things that I also want you to say is, Write this down. Put it in the comments. I must not focus on the work itself, but focus on the one who empowers me to work. Focus on God who empowers me to work. I must not focus on the work. I must focus on the one who empowers me to work. And then what happens is I won't be limited I won't be limited. See, many times we're limited because we're focusing on the wrong thing. But if we'll focus on him, we won't be limited because when you focus on him, he is an unlimited loving father. And when we focus on him, it takes the limits off. Where we were limited in our flesh, when we focus on him, we move into being unlimited. When we Write that in the comments. When I focus on God... It removes limits in my life. When I focus on God, removes limits in my life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. When I focus on God, it removes limits in my life. So what we're doing today is we are being diligent. We are being diligent to study about the character of good leaders and bad leaders. And now what are we on? Part 25? Is today 25? Yeah. We're on part 25 of this. I never, I never had it go this long, never wanted it to go this long, never dreamt that it would go this long. But I did sense the Lord about two weeks ago saying, keep going and, keep, and stretch it out. Not just stretching out for stretching's sake, but make sure that you don't miss a point. Read every scripture. Go along these lives and look at it because there's people, hear this, not everybody will go along for a ride like this. But the ones who want to fulfill their destiny, they will say, you know what, I need this, I need to hear it, and I know I need to grow myself in God. This is my number one work, to grow me up. And there's a people they will say, I'll be diligent. I will, I will attain everything that God has wants me to attain in my life. I will not be held back. He's given me potential to attain it, and I will attain it, and I'll do the work that I need to, and God will empower me to do it. Amen. So that's the people I'm talking to. Glory to God. That's you. That's us. That's who we are. We're not settling for average. 
Put that in the comments. I'm, I might have y'all putting stuff in the comments all day. But see, you've got to learn to get active with it. Don't just be passive. Okay, I hear it, I hear it, I hear it. But never speak it. But never say it. But never make a decision to believe it. We're not settling for average. We're not settling for mediocre. I won't settle for average. I will not settle for mediocre. No, that is not the plan of God. When you look at the full counsel of this word, he wants you to be above and not beneath, the head and not the tail. He wants you to be above average. Now, see, you can have above average in every piece of the body of Christ, from the, from the pastor on the platform to the person who's cleaning up the church. They can be above average in whatever they do, and none of them are not necessary. But in life, in the fullness of it, we will live above average because we're going after God. Amen. Let's look at chapter 24 now. So what has happened here recently as we just look at it? David goes to the priest. He asks him for food. He also gives, the priest gives him Goliath's sword. Saul comes in and all of a sudden he kills all the priests. Then David hears that the uh, community of Keilah is under attack from the Philistines. He goes, even though he's being hunted, even though he's being hunted, he delivers them and wins a battle over the Philistines and delivers the community of Keilah. Well, then Saul hears that he's there. David inquires of the Lord. That's a huge part of chapter 23. He inquires of the Lord, and sure enough, uh, the Lord tells him, hey, Saul's going to come here, and the people are going to give you up. So he leaves there. Saul, Saul goes away. All of a sudden, Saul hears that he's in another spot. He chases him. Saul just about has him wrapped up. And he's just about to capture David and all the people with him. And a supernatural thing happens and God delivers David at the place called the Rock of Escape. And uh, now we're moving into uh, chapter 24. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men... From all, from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. <laughs> That's a funny name to me. The rocks of the wild goats. Can that be somebody's church name somewhere? We're the church of the rocks of the wild goats. <laughs> What's the, the, what's the letter for each? What's it called when it's the letter anagram? Or when the letter, you take the first letter of each word? That'd be funny. We're from the church of the rock of the wild goats. Verse 3, he came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Man, that's in the Bible. All right. Even the king's got to go. <laughs> now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Just so happened to pick that cave and there's Saul. Oh my goodness. Good choice, Saul. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like, what? Now, I want you to think about this. 
What if you were David, what would your first thought be? What would your first thought be if you're sitting in the cave, back in, in the recesses of the cave, all of a sudden a man walks in. It's King Saul taking a leak. <laughs> what would you think? What would you think? Don't you know, don't you know that he would be sitting there and David would say, man, God's given me Saul. He's put him right in my hands. <laughs> don't you think that he had a temptation? Kill them, boys. <laughs> Lay them out. Kill them right now. Take them. Don't you know that he had a temptation to do that? So here's Saul hunting him down. All of a sudden, David and his men are hiding in a cave, and here comes Saul to relieve himself, the Bible says, and, and they're sitting there watching Saul come in. Verse 4, the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day. Yeah, Kevin says, if I'm David, he's thinking, thank you, God, for this opportunity to destroy his enemy. The men of David said the same thing. Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Now see, that the Lord has said this. I'm going to give the enemy and you shall do what seems good to you. I'm going to put your enemy in your hand. And his men, listen, David's men now, David's men say, hey, here's the situation. Here's the moment that God prophesied about. See, now they're taking a word of God and they're connecting it to a, to a moment. And now it's like they're stamping it with the God stamp. What generally happens there? People run with that. It's kind of what we were talking about yesterday. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. All right, so just imagine this. David gets up, goes over to Saul. What does his men think? Man, he's about to kill him. Glory to God. They're, that's what they're thinking. He's about to take out this man who's being crazy. He's being crazy. He's trying to kill all of us. And David's about to go kill him. And then David cuts off the corner of his robe. Don't you know his men in the flesh, the men in the flesh were going, what are you doing? Don't cut his robe. Cut him. Take him. Don't you know that that's what they were thinking? They were thinking, no, take him out. Take him out. Verse 5. It came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, or hold on, hold on a second. Hey, Pamela Kelly, good to see you. Yeah, Kevin says, but David is not any normal man. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. He isn't normal because of the choices that he made. We can be far from normal if we'll make the same godly choices. That's the key. We can be far above average and mediocre if we will think like David thought, which means we study to see how he thought. And you're about to see how he thinks. But here's something that I want to give to you. I don't know if you've ever led people on a regular basis, but I can tell you, when you do the opposite of what the people think that you should do, Many times, unless they are very, uh, unless they are very loyal, 
and very godly, you'll lose those people. I've seen it time and time again. And see, many times God will tell you to do the opposite of what the mass is thinking. He won't tell you to do something logical. He'll tell you to do something spiritual. So they're expecting, you know, you got to think about this. Think about this situation. It is not just David's life that's in the balance here. Everybody traveling with David, their life is in the balance. Here's the way for David to end, stick a knife in Saul, end it, and save their lives, and David doesn't do it. Now, you just look at you know, the last few weeks and the fear that's been going on. Uh, hey, Isaac, good to see you, man. Over on YouTube, good to see you. Thanks for joining in. So if you look at David here in 1 Samuel 24, Saul is chasing him, trying to kill him, but he's not just going to kill David. He's probably going to wipe out all of David's men too. They go into a cave. They're hiding from Saul. Saul comes in to relieve himself, and the men say, the, the men say this is the word that the Lord, uh, that he prophesied to you. He said, he'll put him in your hand, and you can do with him what you want. And so Saul is put into the hand, and they're saying, kill him, take him out. David, he's not just after you, he's after us too. And as a leader, if you don't do what the people want, you are likely to lose them. Many times that's resulted in rebellion and in overthrow. The only way you don't is if it is straight up God and those people are paying attention to God. Because just because it's the Lord doesn't mean the people are listening to the Lord. So David makes a choice here. Now I want you to hear this. Go back to the word of prophecy. Go back to this. He said, verse 4, The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. What does that mean to most people? What is that going to mean to most people that hear that word? Most people that hear that word, what are they going to do? They're going to stick a knife in Saul. Am I right? That's what most people, they're like, okay, the enemy's right there. Take him out. But you notice that's not exactly what the Lord said. The Lord said this. Do, I'll put the en your enemy in your hand and you can do what seems good to you. See, what God did, he didn't just put the enemy in David's hand. He put a choice in his hand. Mm -mm. <laughs> he put a choice in David's hand. A good leader doesn't make assumptions of what he thinks a word says. And he pays attention to the words of the Lord and he makes a choice. See, what seemed good to David was not to kill him. What seemed good to David was just to prove to Saul, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not going to take you off your throne. You were, you're the anointed of God. I'm not going to take you off your throne the wrong way. See, David actually fulfilled that word of prophecy because God put a choice. I remember one time I had a situation where uh, had, I had a specific situation where I could... Uh, completely let somebody go. I had the right to let them go. Uh, it was absolutely 
Uh, most people would have said that's the right thing to do. But God offered me a choice. He said, you can either let this person go right now or you can continue to help them and it'll cost you. I said, Lord, we're on the earth to help people. I don't see that as a choice. Now, I prayed about it because I need to make sure my heart was right. And it did exactly cost us. It cost us like three years and a lot of heartache. But I would say in the end, we were able to help that person where I don't think anybody on the earth would have been in a position to help. And who knows what the end result of their life was. But many times God will put something, a choice into your hand and you decide how you're going to serve the Lord. You know, you decide what choice you're going to make. And the choice is not always the earthly logical one. It's a choice of a covenant loving father. This is what made David great. This is what, watch his thinking. Verse 5, after he cut his robe, verse 5, it came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of his robe of all the things, of all the things that David is being, you know, chased to be killed and all these things. And it bothers David's conscience because he cut his robe? Are you kidding me? Who in the world, who in the world in the earth would think like that? God's person. That's who, the man who would be king thinks like that. The man who would be king thinks like that. Call glory to God. Glory to God. Then listen to what he says, verse 6. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. In other words, far be, it, far be it from me because of God that I should do this thing to Saul, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. He's not talking about killing him. He's talking about embarrassing him by showing that he was able to cut off his robe. Saul's believing deception that David's against him, trying to hunt him down and kill him. David is concerned about embarrassing Saul. This is what makes him the great king. This is what makes him the great king. Verse 7, David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. That means they were going to still rise up against him, but he said, no, don't do it. Don't, don't go do it. And he, he, listen, he defended the life of Saul, his enemy who's hunting him, trying to kill him. He defended him. Where has this been in the church? Where has this been in the world? Where has this been? I think we've seen it every now and then. But this should be the heart of every believer, filled up with the love of Christ. This should be the heart of every believer. Lord, you are my supply. Father, you are my source. Jesus, you are my defender and my strength. You are my strong tower. Who wrote those words? David. 
who trusted more in the Lord's protection than his own. Kevin said, it's as though David saw Saul as his pastor. Your thoughts? Um, I, I think he just saw him as an anointed leader. Pastor might be a little bit too defined, uh, Kevin. But the, at the very least, he saw, hey, God, it doesn't even matter if he's messing up now. At one point, God had his hand on Saul. And I'm not, you know, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Saul could have repented. You see, Saul could have repented. But you have to see that David's saying, look, if God saw fit one time to put his hand on Saul, I won't put mine on. Big deal. I can tell you, now listen to this, I can tell you, God takes that kind of stuff seriously. You know, early on, and I have seen, early on in pastoring, I wondered if that was so. I can tell you after 11 years, it is absolutely so. You do not mess with the people who are walking in the anointing of God. Don't play games with that. That is no joke. I have watched people die I have, because of that. That is no joke. I am not kidding. Verse 7, and Saul arose, left the cave, and went on this way. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. Look at how he's, how he's calling him. Not, hey, Jerko, who's trying to kill me. Duh, hey. Hey, Jerk. You know, the one hunting me down. No, listen to him. This is humility. This is honor. And he's not just, you have to understand, he's not just honoring Saul, he's honoring God. See, when we honor the authorities, we are honoring God. We're honoring God. My Lord, the King, David says. My Lord, the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David... <laughs> David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. This is the honor of God. This is the power of a humble man. This is what made David great. The man is trying to kill him. He calls him my Lord and my King and bows to the ground. Prostrates himself. Oh, Father, that we could be like David in this instance in our life, that we could be of that humility and, and honor your people and honor you in the process. Lord, let us be. Let us see moments where we need to make those choices and change our thinking. Thank you, Father, for showing us how to do these things and be your people. Thank you, Father. Man, this kind of stuff, as you can see, it... it it tears me up in a good way. Builds a contrite heart. David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Verse 9, David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. Now watch, I want you to see, see this prophetic word that the men, David's men had quoted. Some people would say, well, this is to kill Saul. 
And then some people would say this was not a prophetic word because David didn't kill Saul. But David's saying right here, no, the Lord gave me into my hand. He's saying that was a prophetic word. The issue was the choice was in David's hand and the choice he made was God's choice. He's given us confirmation of that right now. He says, behold, this day your eyes, your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. My eye had pity on you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Do you see the connection right here? I don't know if we lost the signal or what, but it's showing something weird on Facebook. Uh, it might just be on that. He's saying right here, he's saying this. He's saying, if I stretch my hand out against Saul, I'm literally stretching my hand out against the, the Lord. Do you see the connection that the Holy Spirit is making here? Do you see the connection that he's making? Glory to God. Uh, come over and try to get that, please. I'm, it's still showing right on my other screen. Do you see the connection that the Lord is making? He's saying, look, he's saying that the Holy Ghost is making through David's voice. He's saying, look, this is the Lord. If you touch Saul, you're touching the Lord. If you touch Saul, you're touching the Lord. Many people don't realize this. This is why it's so important. You don't realize, what did Jesus say to uh, the apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul, who was hunting down the Christians. What did Jesus say to him? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? The Lord, he's saying, you're not just touching my people, you're touching me. And David's saying right here, if I touch Saul, I'm touching you, Father. This is, this is the key. He said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Can you ever say, can you ever say that I would, I would reach out and do harm to the Lord? I don't think anybody listening to this would say, I will, I will reach out and strike against the Lord. I don't think anybody would, would believe that. I don't think anybody would want to do it. And yet, here's what he's saying. If you reach out and stretch out your hand against God's anointing, you're stretching out your hand against God. So the question is, will we have the same heart and thoughts as David? And will we move to the place where we say, Lord, I won't do this. I will not do that. All right, now let's look at this. Keep reading. He said, I will not, verse 10, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointing. Verse 11, now my father see. Indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. Twelve, may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. 
Now, watch this. What David's saying right here, this is a serious deal. He's saying, Lord, judge between me and Saul right now, and whoever's wrong, take out your judgment on it. Well, David knew that he was not in the wrong. How many people would be willing, actually? How many people would be willing to actually say, Lord, judge between me and that person? It would take really a, a deceived person actually, uh, to move into that place. It would take a deceived person uh, in a lack of humility and pride to say that in most cases, because most cases, our heart's not right. I had a situation one time where I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you know my heart. I said, I'm not saying that I don't have anything wrong, but you know where my heart was to do right. And if I've done wrong, I'm not aware of it, and you know that. You know, and I was talking to him like this, but rarely have I found it in my life that I've been able to speak with that kind of confidence. But David's speaking with that kind of confidence right here. And, and what, you think the Lord's not going to take that seriously? But then he says, look, I have the proof right here that, that I'm not. He's saying, look, my hand, the Lord may come against you for your action, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And so he, he sought the Lord. He said, may the Lord judge between you and me. Verse 13, as the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. 14, after whom the king of Israel, uh, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? I'm nothing in your sight. Compared to you, the king of Israel, I, I'm nothing. David, look at the humility here. This is not, and I'll remember, let's go back multiple chapters. Remember, the man of God, Samuel, the prophet, anointed David's head with oil, covered him, and the anointing of God came on David from that day. Now see, most people in that situation would be like, Saul, who do you think you're touching? I'm God's anointed. You're anointed too, but I'm also God's anointed. That's what most people would say in this position. But that's not what David's saying. This is what made him great. A good leader doesn't see himself higher than he is. He said, Saul, look, look, am I, am, who are you actually after? I'm, a, I'm like a dead dog. I'm a flea. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Fifteen, the Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Sixteen, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I. For you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, and that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. 19. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? In other words, Saul's going, this is crazy what you did. Nobody else would do this. May the Lord therefore reward you, David, with good in return for what you've done to me this day. 20. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king, 
and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. 21, so now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. 22, David swore to Saul and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now here's what I want you to see. I've faced many times where I've been talking to somebody who didn't necessarily like what I was doing and um, all of a sudden it was like a, um, uh, they just were mad at me. I've had, I've had people cuss me out as a pastor and you know I've never sought to do anything but to help people. Uh, have I done it perfectly? No, of course I haven't. But I've definitely sought uh, for people uh, to serve them, to love on them. And um, I, have I made mistakes? Sure, I've made mistakes. Uh, ones that are worthy of cussing. Um, I don't think so, but it's possible, I guess. And, uh, but I've had people over the years you know, do all kinds of stuff. And then many times it ends up, you know, it's somebody that might be of the church that's supposed to be there. And a lot of times, and what really needs to happen is had there been communication early on, generally deceptions would not get there. And what I've found over time is uh, by people meditating on the wrong thing, they allowed their thinking to constantly be influenced. And where it starts off as a little thing, remember the small foxes ruin the vine. And the further you go down the road without reconciling your thoughts and coming into unity, the distance gets wider and wider. So eventually, most of the time, you know, the, the job... My job is to minister to people, but my job is to minister to people who will receive it, uh, not force myself on their lives. So the job, the job of the disciple is to communicate, come to the leader and communicate. Uh, it's not necessarily my job unless the Lord tells me directly to tell them something. The responsibility of the disciple is to come and communicate to the leader, to submit themselves to the leader. The Bible shows that very clearly. And, um, but most people don't do that. Most people, um, they, you know, there's a lot of little deceptions that get in the way uh, that people have allowed to get in the way. But what generally ends up happening is it becomes quite a, quite a separation. And then all of a sudden you have this one major conversation. And um, it, it generally is, most of the time when I've gotten to that place of that conversation, the person's already gone. They just don't know it yet. And uh, But what I've found is this. I have found that in that conversation, I would say 95% of the time, uh, people have recognized their deception. And they'll actually completely repent and come back and the gap is closed and it's beautiful. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to... Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to our leadership team and said, oh, that we had a great conversation, everything's fixed. You know this is true, Barrett. Um, everything looks great, everything's going awesome. We had such a great conversation. And then all of a sudden, a week or two later, like it's completely blown up and they're you know, off and mad and leave the church or whatever else. And man, that just really bothered me because I'm thinking, you know, I thought this was fixed. I know one situation, one time I had uh, a couple that was at the church and we had a conversation. It was awesome. Everything seems fixed. 
peace, grace. It was beautiful. We're family again. A week later, they're mad at me again. And like nothing happened during the week. We come back together about a month later. We talk again, peace, grace, unity, and everything's hunky-dory. And about a week later, they're, they're mad again. And uh, I went, what in the world is this? I don't understand. I don't understand how that can be happening. Hey, Chris Bates, good to see you, man. And uh, thanks for joining us today. Love y'all. Um, blessings be on you in every way. Um, but I've seen it where people got mad and then... Then all of a sudden we have a talk, and as we talk, you know, it's like deceptions go away, everything goes away, and we are at peace. And then a week later they're mad again. And I'm, I asked the Lord, I said, what is this? I don't get how it can be so drastically different. But I want you to see right here in 1 Samuel 24, you see the same thing uh, in 1 Samuel 24. Saul, we know that Saul is not operating under the anointing, but David is. And when Saul, who's in deception, comes into the presence of the anointing, the anointing starts breaking yokes. And all of a sudden, the bondage of deception is broken in that moment. And in that moment where that bondage is broken, the one who's under deception can see clear. And... and and what happens? Just like what happened here with Saul. They repent. All of a sudden, everything looks great. After reading chapter 24, don't you, don't you think that, don't you think after reading chapter 24 that everything's going to be great? Hey, they solved it now. But what happens is as soon as the deceived person leaves the anointing, if they, see, they can repent for, they can repent for the deception but here's what they haven't changed. The atmosphere that the deception came in. That's what hasn't changed. So they, changed, they repented in the moment, but the atmosphere of the deception has not been repented of or changed. And so they go back to the atmosphere, away from the anointing, back to the atmosphere of the deception, and within just a short period of time that deception happens again. So like in the example I was talking about earlier, in this particular example, this couple, that multiple conversations, everything was going great, and uh, all of a sudden, everything looks great, but then a week later, they're mad again, and nothing happened. I didn't do anything to them. They're just mad. The issue is the reason why they were deceived is because they weren't taking their thoughts captive at home and so they went back to the atmosphere of not taking those thoughts captive. And sure enough, the deception came right back on. Where the anointing cleared it up and moved away that cloud of deception. When they went back to the atmosphere and environment of not taking your thoughts captive, not thinking on things worthy of praise, they went right back into the deception. And so I, now that I've learned this, I recognize this is what happens so many times. So the key for us is, as leaders, understand that if you are carrying an anointing, you can see where clarity can come in a meeting. But if that person is not uh, given to completely repent of the atmospheres that they've created, they'll more than likely go right back to it. And that's very important to know as a leader, but also as people, it's very important for us to humbly come before God and say, Lord, have I been creating an atmosphere where I could be deceived? 
And so let me give you one of my own missteps. So one point, I was sitting there uh, years ago. This was, you know, I, many people have heard this uh, story before, but it, it, it's the exact same thing right here. So I was sitting there, and um, I'd had a really hard year. Uh, my year was not, not a great year. And then all of a sudden, we're going into the new year, and I had a great year, uh, had a great year going. And then about one month into that new year, all of a sudden, Nicole told me a couple of facts, and those facts could have really hurt the ministry, and it really kind of made me sad. And I was thinking about, I'd learned at this time to take my thoughts captive and put it down, but... I noticed what I would do every time that thought would come to me that day, I would just pray in the Holy Ghost and I would feel, I would, I would pray in the Holy Ghost and I would feel that fear leave, that anxiety, that worry leave, and then I'd move on in my day. Well, a, a few hours later or 30 minutes later or something, that feeling came back and I was thinking about it again and I prayed in the Holy Ghost and it went away. And this happened probably 10, 12, 15 times that day. I'd pray in the Holy Ghost and go away. And I think I'm winning because I'm getting this thing to go away. And I got to the end of the, end of the day, though, and I said, Lord, I'm discouraged. I'm discouraged. I was like, this will not be another year of discouragement. Why is this happening? He's, he asked me this question. He said, what have you been thinking on all day? Hey, Laura Ferreira, it's so good to see you. We love you. The Lord said, what have you been thinking on all day? I said, well, I've been thinking about that, but every time I thought about it, I prayed in the Holy Ghost, and I took the, the thoughts captive, and he said, what have you been thinking about all day? And I, I saw it. See, instead of thinking about it that morning, taking it captive, and knowing that it's handled, and refusing to think about it anymore, I kept thinking about it. Even though I would take it to God, I kept thinking about it. I had created an atmosphere of discouragement. So I'd bring it under the anointing, but then I'd step back out to the atmosphere and environment of discouragement. And at the end of the day, I was discouraged. And I recognized, I've done this all my life. He said, yes, you. I said, I've been creating my own problems. He said, yeah, you have. And I was like, oh. Lord, thank you so much for showing this to me. Evangelist Nathan Pimentel, so good to see you, man. I love you. And uh, I said, I've been creating this problem myself all my life. He said, yes, you have. And so all of a sudden, I realized I could escape if I would learn to uh, get out of the atmosphere of deception, get out of the atmosphere and environment without the anointing, I could stay in the place where the deceptions would not be there and I could see clearly what the Lord wanted me to do and what he didn't want me to do. And so as, as one, as, as a leader, know that people, when they come to you and you're carrying an anointing, things will start to fall in line and they'll see them. But if they've not changed their atmosphere of deception then they'll go straight back to it. And don't be surprised when that happens. The same thing, what we know from this story is within just a couple of weeks, Saul's back on the path trying to kill David again. He's completely clear under the anointing. But as soon as he leaves the anointing, he's trying to kill him again. You would think it's over, but it's not. 
And as a person, I must recognize those areas of deception, those, that negative thinking at the house, that, those negative idle words that I may speak or I may say, because all of that will create an atmosphere of deception. And then we'll be walking in that deception and wondering why things aren't working. And then we'll be blaming God. And it's our own lack of humility to open up to the Lord and say, Lord, show me what I need to fix. I want you to see one more thing. Look at what Saul says at the end of this. He says, I know you'll be king. I know you'll be king. I know you'll be king. Take care of my family. That's an awesome thing. It's a, it's a great thing. And David does do exactly that. But here's what he says. I know that you will surely be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. What would most people do with that statement? They would, as soon as Saul and David have this conversation, if they were David, they would march straight to Jerusalem and try to take the throne. Hey, Saul said it himself in front of everybody. I'll be king. They'll, they'll, go, they'll go straight to it. But that's not what David did. This is the wisdom of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. What do most people do when somebody says, you're a pastor? You're a minister. They go straight and try to get into the pulpit. David recognizes. <laughs> yeah, I'm anointed. Yeah, even the king says I'm going to be king. But I know. I, I know. We're not there yet. And I'm not going to take it the wrong way. Listen, here's the one thing. Saul's still on the throne. Saul's still on the throne. Don't be so, so focused on your destiny that you miss the now. Don't be so focused on your calling and even what God has said about your future that you miss the position you're in right now. Just write it in the comments. Say, don't be so focused on your destiny that you miss the now. Most people I see that actually are called and anointed to be ministers, the word says this, I think it's Colossians, uh, 3.23, it says, do everything as unto the Lord. In other words, the, the picture I always have in my mind is if Jesus was standing right here, I want to do this that I'm doing right now in this moment, just like he's standing here and I'm about to present everything I'm doing to him. I want it to be perfect. I want it to be of excellence. I want it to be in the anointing and the glory of God. Do everything. But see, what most people are doing is even though the Lord's not standing there, what they're doing, they got a task in front of them, but all they're thinking about is where they're going. And they're not 100% where they're at. And their ministry suffers, and their character suffers, and their reputation suffers because they won't be focused where they're at right now because they're so focused on their destiny. But if you understand the things of God and the kingdom of God, in order to hit your destiny, you do everything that you should be doing now. David's not on the throne yet. Saul's still on the throne. Until Saul comes off the throne, David says, I'm not taking it by force. I'm not going to take it the wrong way. God is the one who builds the house. Psalm 127, guess who wrote it? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And unless the Lord watches me, watches Diddy, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Guess who wrote it? Psalms, David. 
This is the man who understood these character principles. This is the man who understood how to step into position the right way, the godly way. This is what made him the great king. Do you receive it for yourself? Do you receive it for yourself? Father, right now, just let me pray for you. Father, right now, I pray for myself as well. Lord, I'm talking to people who want to be everything that you've called us to be. Lord, your word says, to whom much is given, much is required. And what's given to us right now at this moment is a destiny to fulfill. And if I leave any of that destiny on the table, then I'm not fulfilling my responsibility to you. But I understand that fulfilling, we understand that fulfilling that destiny has to do with the character that we employ right where we are now. Father, let us see so clearly. Let us humble ourselves. Let us humble ourselves. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your anointing. Mm. Lord, help strengthen each one of us right now to be who you've called us to be. Thank you for your anointing, Lord, to touch each life right where it's at. Lord, let their destinies be fulfilled by being people of godly character in the midst of a world that knows nothing of it. But Lord, let us be your people. Let us be peculiar. Men and women of renown. Let us be a peculiar people called to do exploits. Lord, like David, let us know you. Let us know you. Let us know you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Suho frata kanamosbe. Benuko plako otini etu rala aletine kara. Sherekurukurumasa. Boho frendike. Lord, let every person here in this, let them be strengthened with all of your might. And let them see so clearly what is your will and what isn't your will. What you've given them, the strength that you've given them to fulfill and be a people of character. Lord, let it be today in Jesus' name. Lord, let them rise up to great new heights, to do exploits. Lord, let your hand be shown strong on their behalf. Lord, let your eyes find them. Glory to God. Lord, let them be favored, not just in the eyes of men and in the heart of men, but Lord, let them find favor in your sight. Let us find favor in your sight, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your anointing, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, you could have let this whole world just burn up, but out of your love, you decided to do something with us the ones who had rejected you, and yet here you are. You gave your son that we could be reconnected to you in eternal life to know you and to know the, your son and to walk with you and to fulfill the destiny of the image that we were created in. God wants us to fulfill the destiny of the image we were created in. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name.
Let it be in Jesus' name. Let it be in Jesus' name. If you receive that right now, just say, Lord, I receive your strength. Just right where you're at, say it. Say, I receive your strength. I receive your character. I receive your humility. And I will walk in it like David walked in it. Lord, let these people that are hearing this, including myself, Lord, let them be said. Let it be said of them that they were great in the eyes of God and did great things. Thank you, Father, for it. Thank you, Father. And if you're watching this in the replay and you don't know God and you don't know Jesus, you can know him today and you can enter into a family and have an inheritance beyond your dreams, the stuff that dreams are literally made of and beyond, beyond all you can even ask or think. That's the destiny God has for you. It all comes down to simply receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord, the director of your life, and your Savior, who saved you from a mess, who saved you from all your junk, all your sin, all the, all the stuff you messed up, who will save you and supernaturally turn your life around, supernaturally stop the addiction, supernaturally stop the lack, supernaturally stop the sickness in your life. He can do it all right now. Just everyone watching, just pray this out loud with me. Jesus, today you are the Lord of my life. You're the director. I will listen and be obedient to you. I love you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. I turn away from my sin. I will not follow the path of sin from this day forward. And I believe you took my sin and paid the price as the pure, spotless sacrifice of God, you paid the price for my mess-ups. You took it to the cross, and you took it to the grave. And I believe that God brought you back to life. And when he brought you back to life, he brought me back to life. He didn't leave me in that place of death. I receive, just say it, I receive newness of life today to fulfill a great destiny that God has for me. Now, Jesus, I need your help. And I ask you, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, baptize me with the Holy Ghost to live as an empowered witness of God across the earth. Jesus, I ask you, baptize me with the fire of God that will consume all of my worldliness, all of my mess, and purify me into the glory of God that I can arise and shine like he wants me to in Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you said that prayer, definitely send us a note. Let us know. I needed to pray that today. I needed to receive that prayer and pray it today. Send us a note. Drop it in the comments. Send us a message. We want to hear from you. We believe in you, we're praying for you, and we, are, we believe that you're going to see that destiny fulfilled in your life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Kevin, for that. He put in Facebook, 
uh, hashtag donate, and then you can put in an amount if you'd like to sow into the gospel today. You're welcome to do that on Facebook, or anybody can go to givebc.org, and uh, you can sow and give that way. Uh, you're welcome to. The broadcast is always free, but there are people that God will put on their heart uh, to give into it. And uh, if that's you, you're welcome to. We've made it easy for you. But it, if you don't feel like it or you don't want to, you don't have to, definitely. So, uh, but we do stand with the people that give in that way. We stand with you, that your life goes to new levels, that it would be, according to the Bible, every seed would be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In the name of Jesus, let it be in your life today. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. We praise you. Amen. Hallelujah. We love you so much. I am so excited to see your destiny fulfilled in God. I am so excited to watch it play out and to hear the testimony of it. I'm so excited just to be a part of it. It's my blessing to give just some word to you. It's my blessing to give it to you and watch that be in your life. And uh, we love you. We praise God for you. We're excited for you. Tomorrow we'll be back at noon, lunch plus, continuing on with the man who would be king. We love you. Have a great day. I'll see you. Special guest tomorrow at noon. Love you. Bye-bye.